for agility's sake. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Kyle Spitzley. With me today is Daniel Ida. How are you, Daniel? Hi, Kyle. I'm fine so far. Great. Oh, thank you so much for being on the show with me. Uh, so for our audience, uh, you work with Nagaro. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your experience with Agile? Yeah. Okay. So a bit about myself. I'm currently working with, uh, as you said, Nagaro. And what I do there is I'm working as an Agile coach with our clients and customers. And I, well, I, I actually help them on the one hand transition, you know, from the traditional organizations to a more agile organization. And I do that on various levels, right? Like from team to to leadership. But, you know, my focus and my passion is in the leadership area. And that's what I come currently doing. But um, that's not how I started out, actually. So I started my career um, as I think many agile coaches did. And that is as a software developer, right? So mm-hmm. directly after school, I, you know, was looking for a job and they got a job at a big consulting company that you might know, which is Accenture. And I made my first steps in programming software development. And, you know, I had the typical journey, right? Starting as dipping a bit in the consulting space, but then going to an in-house position, developing software as what was back then called a maintenance engineer. So my first steps were not in, you know, product development, but I started fixing the problems that others built into their code. <laughs> and then at one point, you know, I I figured that I, you know, want to orient myself a bit differently. And I came across Agile and, and then I started as a Scrum Master, you know, and, and I just had the typical journey, start, starting as a Scrum Master, Actually, the first at the company back then, we introduced Scrum in a team. And from that point on, um, I climbed the Agile ladder, if you like to call it <laughs> that way. So I started as a Scrum Master, taking over more and more responsibilities, finally being called something like um, team lead and project lead, which is not that Agile, until I decided to fully embrace the idea. And I got into consulting space, um, which led me now to Nagaro. And so when you look back on your experience in all those different roles and you quickly went from just being a programmer or developer to Scrum Master, the first one at Accenture, what was the first experience you had had where you realized you wanted to shift or reorient yourself, as you said? What was it that caused yeah, that? A bit of a correction. I was the first Scrum Master at Accenture. I don't know who that was, but it was a different company. But my first... Okay you know, point of realization um, that the traditional way can't be the way to go forward um, was actually with Accenture. Back then, it was in the, in the around 2010, but I was um, with Accenture as what's, what was called the um, technology consultant. So actually what I was doing was working for a client, a big banking client, so big in financial and insurance and all of that. And they were if I remember correctly, they were migrating their core system from an old host-based solution to something uh, more modern. And my job, I think it was to translate the business requirements into a more technical things, you know, like all the algorithms of converting account numbers and so on. And I remember very vividly <laughs> that um, we were all sitting in this, in this big room. And of course, there was this traditional structure 
you had small project teams, each team working on a work package. So the typical project management stuff. And every Monday morning, there was a big um, project meeting, right? At the end of this meeting, so nobody was invited, of course, except from program management and project management. And after this meeting, it was always around, if I remember correctly, someone before lunch, right? So 10.30 or something like that. The project manager of my sub-project would come in and there was this huge wall of what's called a project structure plan, right? So the whole lineup of, of all the work packages was mapped out on a wall and it was, I think, about 10 meters. So I don't know what it is in feet, but pretty long. Big. Yeah, it's big. It's, it's big. quite big. <laughs> so you can you could actually walk from the beginning of the project to the end of the project in terms of a timeline with a Gantt chart and all that. And after that meeting, every Monday on 1030, our project manager would come in and replace large parts of that plan. Because, of course, the whole project was not going, you know, as the project management office mapped it out. Mm -hmm. And I did not know about Agile back then. But what I thought was that can't be the way that every week we waste so much paper and so many posters of project structure plans um, being replaced week after week. So I'm, of course, exaggerating, right? It was not that they were replaced every week, but every, you know, now and then they came in and just really replaced. And, and when I was with the project, the project was not near finished, right? It was about half time. So half of the plan was regularly replaced physically on a wall because of minor hiccups or things you wouldn't even call hiccups in an agile environment. Just stuff that you figured out along the way. And that happened week after week. And, and at, the, at that moment, I thought, that can't be the way. And now if you, if you fast forward a year or two years, back then was my next step with Agile. I was working, um, I was working as, as the maintenance engineer already and it was a total opposite for me from Accenture these hundreds of people in the project and large year-long plans back to a team uh, where we were three people one team lead more or less not really that structured and we were just working on customer demands so they had a problem it came up to us we talked to the client or to the customer if required and figured out what was wrong ask them what they would expect instead, and then we fixed it, right? Or we adapt the software. Mm. And at that point, I thought, well, that, you know, isn't that what software development should be like? You know, no wasted efforts in planning. You just get the feedback from someone using your product, and then you sit back and, you know, just adapt what you're doing to it. And that that was when I started to research all of that, right? When I, when I just... I just Googled how to develop software or something like that back then. And that was then in the, in the early 2010s where Agile already was a thing, to be honest. So yep. people knew it and it was coming up on Google searches. And I just researched. And I had a, had a shift of in, in the management. So my team lead was um, leaving for a different position in the company. And someone new came in from a different company already with some, you know, a bit of experience doing Scrum. And I remember when that guy was called Michael, when he came to the team, I asked him, so, you know, this is the way we did it before. This is my experience. How do you want to approach it? How do we want to, you know, lead the team? And um, he started off a bit in the in the typical management thing with, oh, we make the plans and so on. And then I, I talked and said, look, in my experience, this is what worked for us in the past. 
And I've researched it a bit. There's a thing called the Agile Manifesto. And I think it sums up what we're doing on this team. You know, would you like to try that a bit more structured? Because what we did was just sitting down and just doing it in a small team, but the team was growing. Mm -hmm. And I asked him, so how could we, do we want to structure our approach a bit more? And so we had a talk and we came up with uh, trying Scrum. And that was how I came in touch with Agile. And I, I actually researched it. I actually signed the Agile Manifesto, I think in 2011, when you still could sign it on the web page. <laughs> yeah, you can't sign it anymore. Yeah, you, you can't. Awesome. Do, I don't know why they stopped that. I like that feature. And that was the point when I really got into it, right? The first real point of contact and, you know, getting into Scrum Master, um, training them and just trying it out. And then it, it rolled out into the company, right? Other teams figured what we were doing and we, we helped them to get on board. And in the end, it, it changed the whole company that I was working for back then. Oh, that's amazing. I mean, that's that's kind of an organic transformation. And it's the kind that companies pay Nagaro to, to do now, yeah. right? Like that's the kind of thing people are trying to do. And I love that story about your first experience because it points exactly to one of the things we all know, but we don't want to admit. And that's that we can't plan that far in advance with any accuracy. You know, when we try to plan 12 months out, and this was pre-COVID, before COVID, it was easier to plan farther out. Now I can't plan two weeks because it's so crazy, the stuff that's changing. But and for most people, you realize that we've spent a ton of time figuring out all those details and all those little items of the plan just to have them change as we learn new things. And it's not because we're stupid or we, we're not... Um, you know, knowledgeable or an expert enough on the field we're working in, it's because there are unknowns that people can't know. And you don't know those until you uncover them. And that's one of the beautiful things I like about Agile is that it embraces that concept that there will be things you don't know and things that will change. And so instead of spending all that effort planning in, into, you know, really detailed line items and Gantt charts and putting that on the wall and then changing it every week, that's demoralizing. I mean, that just, it takes some of the momentum away from the team every week as you see things changing in front of you. So I think it's a perfect example of some of the, the personal realization of this isn't the, this is not the best way for us to develop software. Uh, thanks for sharing the story. Um, so you spoke about this, this, uh, this new guy, Michael, the manager who comes in. Um, I want to ask, thinking about a leader, since you know that's one of your focus areas now for Nagaro, thinking about a leader in an agile transformation, obviously a manager on a team, they probably had you know experience in developing that software. Um, I look at our, our uh, leaders, we've got a lot of managers who were previously developers um, or held roles in the technical space where they know their stuff. And now we're asking them to let the team do this stuff. And don't, don't be giving the team all the answers and directing their work specifically. Let the team, uh, you know, rise to their potential. So I don't know how to describe for a leader, like what their role is. I struggle to find the right words to tell them what to do in an agile world. What would you say is the role of a manager or even a senior leader in an agile organization? Yeah, so that's quite a curious question because of my perception of, what a leader in, in you know the agile world is, it shifted over the years. And if you think about the pre-agile role of the manager, it was a lot about organizing, a lot about exactly that planning ahead and directing people on what they should focus on. Now, 
all these things in their in their raw form unfortunately shift to the team unfortunate for the manager great for the team so what should they do now and and what you said is a pretty interesting observation especially in um the more tech savvy fields where agile comes from you see there's a lot of managers who were or who have great experience with um, the product where they're managing teams or they have their own technical expertise and what i see taking up a lot of these leaders is embracing that side of their work again right not only um planning and um thinking and and you know doing all the administrative stuff because i figured many of them find that a bit boring as well um so yeah. they they can get back in the game again that's an option for, for for those who are you know and i'm going to phrase it a bit badly maybe but that's an option for those who are um not out of the game for a long time and for all those who don't want to you know pick that up again there's so much you can do and need to do because just because your organization is going agile and because there is more responsibility more trust more activity shifted to the team it does not mean that all the rest is gone suddenly you still need to make sure that you know your people find an a work environment where they can grow, where they can, you know, unleash their potential, as I often called it, mm-hmm. and where they can succeed. And and I have a colleague of mine who always says, like, the, the job of a manager or a leader in an actual team is focused on making people awesome. I like that. Me as well. And it's totally true. And, and that's a lot of work. And it's, of course, it's a different work than in the pre-agile world, because in the pre-agile world, what you did had a lot to do with, um, you know, planning, crunching the numbers, and that role is shifting towards a more people-oriented approach. You know, figuring out what the people are actually doing, um, what their daily problems are, and relieving those daily little pains, because those pains stop your productivity. I, I recently had that with one of my clients. We were introducing agile, and what he really was struggling with this. I am, and he was a project manager in that case, right? So really like, so what am I going to do now? Now we have, so we employed Scrum there and he said, now we have product owners, we have a development team, but, but what should I do now? Because formerly I was leading the project managers. It was actually a, a woman and we sat down and talked about what she was doing and also which aspects of doing it she enjoyed. And it was a lot about um, organizing and resolving all the blockers that come up and all the problems for the project teams. And in the end, she, she realized by herself that now, you know, there's so much decision going to the team, which really support them to understand what their sphere of influence is, what impact their decisions might have. And it's still something that you need in your organization. So what you do as a, as a leader instead of a manager is you go more into the coaching space and mentoring the people to make, I, I like to call it wise decisions. For example, if you're a developer on a team, you have a limited point of view. And that, that's just human nature, right? You just yeah. see a certain point or, you know, have visibility to a certain point in the organization. And there are so many decisions you, you take day by day and um, they're getting more and more impact in the natural way of working because you have more influence. And so you need someone who takes the broad view in it, who can tell you if we take that design decision and we're more appealing to that client customer group or segment, then what about the rest? 
and how it will impact our business. So there's so much to do and what you just shift your role to. And, and I really think that's a great field of management is enabling those people to see the right things, to have all the context that they need and help them so that everything that blocks them is out of the way. I love that. I think the the part where like that I haven't thought of yet that you pointed out right away is people who are in a management position today were in a technical position in the past. And the idea now is that you can step back into some of that role and help yeah. the team. Like you can actually get in and get your hands dirty and help the team uh, because that's what the organization needs. And I hadn't thought of that. I think that's a great call out. Um, and for some of our managers, I know that they'll say, really, I can get back to doing the work that I love doing. Yes, I want that. Um, and for others, they'll say, you know, I've, I've gotten I'm over that. I'm past that. I don't want to do that. What else can I do? But I love this shift from being a manager to being a leader or a coach and in helping the team unleash their potential and solving their problems and, and just on a day to day basis, figuring out what's in the way and helping resolve those things. Um, it doesn't have to be planning and organization all the time, but those are things you can do. Uh, and one other thing that comes to mind for me as you're describing this is that not every person in the management position is going to have the same desire to operate in a way with the team like everyone else does. So for one leader, it might be that they like organization. And they like the planning and kind of looking at the dependencies across the team. And then for another leader, it might be that they like to get into the work and actually help the team. I think there's probably some some pitfalls and some watch outs for both of those things. You know, I think if if uh, a manager who was in the past a developer or an integration architect stepped back in to help some of that stuff, I think stepping into the team, you just have to remember to watch out for the 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 trap of I'm helping the team as a team member, but I'm going to hold my leader authority and make the decisions myself. And you, so you would want to watch out for those types of things. But I think it's an awesome, awesome perspective to have on it. Thank you for sharing it. So we've got uh, leaders on, I think, both sides of the the equation, some that are for and excited about, you know, agile and others that are thinking, oh, this is just a fad. Like, I know what I'm doing. Don't tell me how to do my job. And so when I think about transformation overall, not necessarily from how to do it, but what's the greatest barrier to transformation? Yeah. So I like to, um, you know, refer to psychology for that. When I go into an organization and they say, oh, we want to go agile, or maybe they need a bit of convincing. What you do is you create a lot of uncertainty and people are not really good at dealing with that. We mm -hmm. don't like it if we can't predict what's going to happen. And especially if you're talking about large scale transformations, you know, where you suddenly start to do Scrum, which I, by the way, never advise to do that, you know, radical changes. But if you do that, it's even harder because suddenly people pop up with, questions like how will that affect my job how will how will it affect my daily life we have to think about it from the perspective that we're spending most of the day at our workplace so and suddenly someone like me or maybe like you comes in and asks people to challenge that challenge what they know and they go to a very uncertain area and this uncertainty that we can't predict what's going to come up in the transformation how it will end, what your organization will look like in six months from now. That is the greatest challenge that I experience. 
because you know the, the whole idea of agile is to embrace that uncertainty that it is there understanding that you can't plan ahead understanding that you will need to adapt it raises tensions it creates mm -hmm. resistance in people you have to spend a lot of time and energy to make people feel safe and especially psychologically safe that they will have a job that they will find a role in the future organization because if you don't do that you lose so much momentum with steering these fears it seems like this idea of lacking certainty causing tension and raising issues um, i remember from some co coaching training that i went through certainty is one of the psychological triggers that creates yeah. a stress response in the brain so it yeah. literally produces cortisol, which lowers our desire to collaborate. It lowers our creativity. It lowers you know, our ability to have bigger perspectives and to see a broad view of things. And so it, right away, it causes this response of defensiveness. It puts us into a flight response. Right? Yes, exactly. I'm going to fight it or I'm going to fly away from it. Yeah. Um, and that's what we see in transformations then. People yeah. start either fighting it or they flee from it and, and which is usually regression it's not always that they you know quit their right. jobs and i think it's what what david rock yes exactly you know, neuro, in neuro leadership institute yeah 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 and, and it's a scarf factor so if anybody wants to look it up scarf is one of my go-to's uh love david rock and the neuro leadership institute um that is the kind of thing that i didn't think about how when we create this uncertainty in the organization by saying, you know, we're, we can't predict what's going to happen. We don't know what the organization will look like in six months. We're not sure which features we're going to ship this year. Like that idea of uncertainty and embracing that aligns with a lot of the agile values and principles, but does not align with what the organization desires and the individual human mind desires. And so I feel like for us, in some cases, people are asking us to say, tell me what the organization is supposed to look like when we're all done with this. Define define the the end state for me so I know. And in reality, we can't. Like We know that that's not possible. And if we did spend time and energy on that, it would be wasted because it won't look like that when we get there. This is an evolutionary type of thing. I think just recognizing that fact is hard to, to accept, is hard to swallow, but it's an important one for us to, to recognize. Yeah. So what can we do about it, like to help a, a leader or manager going through this? Well, one of the basic things that, that we have to do is we have to acknowledge that that is a problem or it's a source of, of resistance and we have to work with it. For many of my colleagues, when I said that it sounded insane because we're in such a you know, a technological and logical field. And now we have to talk about the emotions involved. Yeah. <laughs> that does not come naturally to us. So on the one hand, what, what can a manager do? So what they can do is, first off, accept that things will change and reflect and review how you're dealing with it. Is it a problem? What is the problem for you? And as we talked about the scarf factors, it's not everyone is responding to the uncertainty the same way. For some people, they're more affected by loss of status or um, relatedness because teams are broken up or they might feel unfairly treated. So um, a manager that feels that bit of anxiety coming up, accept it, it's okay to have that feeling um, and then work with it. Figure out what is it just triggering your, your resistance and if it is that uncertainty, let's find some ways to reduce that uncertainty. And we can do that by maybe, you know, not totally forsaking any planning. That's not the actual way at all. 
mm-hmm. um, but to think in small iterations. So, so as you said, and I like that what you brought up, um, there's no use in defining what the organization should look in five years from now because we can't really predict it. But what we can figure out is, you know, a smaller iteration. Like, what's the thing that we currently need to adapt? Mm. And to work from that. Also, if you're trying to transform an organization and you figure out that you're facing a lot of resistance stemming from that uncertainty, try to work with expectations of people. What is it that you would like to keep, for example, to create, you know, create some stability? Every organization came to a certain point because they're doing stuff that works. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to abolish that what works. We want to keep it. And by keeping these things and clearly stating that we're going to keep the good things, we create certainty again. I love that. You're creating uh, an, an anchor, I think is what David Rock called right. it, right? Like yeah. you have to give people an anchor because you're changing a whole bunch of stuff and anchoring them to the things yeah. that won't change. Mm-hmm does bring that certainty back. Work with a dosage, right? You're not going to overhaul the whole organization, but maybe start with one team. See Mm. how that goes. Not only does it create certainty, but it also gives an opportunity to learn. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, people will buy into the idea more and more. And even if you're facing the change for your team as a manager, if you try a couple of things without, you know, radically changing everything, you might figure out that you actually like the new way of working. Yeah. If you give it a chance, you might like it. If you give it a chance, yes. Yeah. Mindset thing, right? Yeah, it's a silly example, but I have two young children. And I think you have a young young child or children at home. When my kids say, I don't like that, to a food that they've never tried or seen before, I ask them, can you just try, try it? Like just a, a bite and see if you like it. Great. If you don't. Yeah. Great. We don't have to do that. We'll figure out something else. It's the same thing that applies um, to transformation and also to all the managers out there. It applies to you as well. Just try, try a small bite of Agile first. <laughs> yeah. And if you it. don't like it, you still can say you don't like it after you tried it. Yeah. But try one small thing and see how that feels. But at that moment, when you say, I don't like it, we can start the dialogue about what you don't like. What's wrong? Yes. What's the the expectation that's missing? Um, and we start to work through some of those concerns that people have. Um, I think you you also touched on, you know, the item for for scarf and where someone might be feeling uncertainty and others might be feeling status or fairness. Um, each each person's going to experience it differently, right? And have a little bit of a different lens on what bothers them about it. But to take that time to reflect. And think about why is this causing me to react the way I am? And that might be like, well, I've, I've tried this before. It doesn't work. It might be, you know, your experience. But thinking about what it means for you and then trying to figure out how do I move forward knowing that and, and ha- try to improve with that. Um, but doing the same thing for your team. Like as a manager, looking at your team members who are struggling to adapt to a new way of working and asking what is talking with your team about it, what's causing them to have that reaction and how can we work through that? Um, and so it's a very much an, an individual and personal thing that we go through, although we talk about it as an organizational thing, but as a person, it feels personal to me when we go through it, these things. It is. And, and it is. You know, one thing we didn't mention here, but we have to keep in mind is you have to talk about it. Mm. Just sitting there and saying, I don't like it won't make the situation better for anyone, not mm-hmm. for you, 
not for your team, not for the company as a whole, but if you can, you know, take a moment, pause and think about what it actually is that is causing that, you know, feeling of unhappiness and you can, and, and you just say it and, and just tell people, oh, I, you know, w when you introduce sprints and you get the feeling, I don't like it and you think about it, what you don't like and then you come up with, I don't like that, you know, I'm pressed into a small box where I have to do my work now. Then just say that because it gives others the chance to co-create a solution with you. Yeah. And move forward together. I love that. Just taking that time to think about it. It creates the, the opportunity for improving um, and, and continuing to adapt. So you've been through um, a number of we'll call them transformations or um, whatever name like you want to give it. Journeys. Journeys, yeah. Okay. So transformation sounds so, so so definite, right? So yeah, uh, unforgiving. I think journey is a good word. Well, what's the most frustrating thing about a, a taking an organization on an agile journey? Oh, the mo most frustrating thing. So I'm going to mention two things, actually. So the first one is how long it actually takes. Mm. And I don't mean like how long it takes to do the end-to-end -end transformation because I don't believe that such a thing exists, it's a journey, one step at a time. But what I mean is like the, the basic concepts of Agile are so easy and they feel so so much like common sense if you look at them as a, you know, outside of your job, as a private person sitting at home and thinking about what you like and what you don't like, you most likely will come up with things that we touch in, in that agile thinking mm -hmm. but um changing the way how you really act changing your behavior in your work life it just takes so much time it's it's easy to learn the you know the theories all the knowledge that there is but making it real and applying it and coming to the point where you apply it without much consideration and i mean that in a positive way without much overthinking it it's it's a time-consuming process and it has to do with changing yourself and not only yourself because you know you're not isolated from your environment but even if you're the most agile developer in it in the world your team has to adapt as well and the people around you and yeah. it's just time consuming and the organization creates... that feeds the team right there's so many other dependencies on those teams oh yeah and Everything's interconnected. That can create some kind of tiredness, even for, for, for people like me or for me, I can tell you that. Because you see that, you know, it's so easy what you could do, what an organization could do. So I, I'm currently working with a client for two years now. And every time I'm, I'm looking at how they're doing, I see how far they came. And for me, it's so obvious what the next steps could be. But you, they have to learn in their time and in their speed. I, you, you can't pressure anyone um, into becoming agile faster than they can change themselves. Mm. That's the one thing that I find so hard. And the other thing I find so hard is that the term itself, the word agile, it became more and more convoluted. There is so much, you know, people interpret into the meaning of that word. You know, you have to invest so much time into getting the terminology straight. So, so that when I see agile, that I'm certain that you understand the same thing. And we're, yeah. not, you know, working in different directions. Those are the two yeah, things so that I find so hard. One person might think agile means go fast. And one person might think agile means I don't plan, um, which is total misconception. Yeah. Uh, but, but both of them. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, right. So to be and to your point, like the the word very convoluted. It's full of full of a variety of definitions. It's like an umbrella over so many other things, and it gets tossed around. I mean, it's it's a buzzword, right? It's been yeah. a buzzword to- for a totally. long time. Yeah. So that's where the statement "agile is dead" comes from, right? The the original idea has has disappeared and been taken over by this. I don't call it um, more market opportunistic word where I can sell agile. Uh, more than I can actually become agile now. It's just easier to do that. Um, but it doesn't mean that the manifesto and the values and the principles and the reason it came about is gone. That still exists. There's still a need for this, right? Um, Absolutely. And that's that's the stuff that we're trying to go after and to 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 work on. And so to your point of there is a ton of time that this takes. And I think you've probably, you've seen this in more organizations than I have, I'm certain of. So the... The time it takes is longer than most people would expect, and that's just because it's a it's a, takes people a while to change, and if they don't want to change, it takes even longer. And the second part you mentioned was the terminology itself even takes time. Like for us as an organization to define that the artifacts, like the most one of the most common things we talk about, people not understanding are epics and features and stories. Like what's an epic? That that type of terminology, there's a lot of different descriptions that I have Google if I go look for this. But what's that mean for us at Amway, I think is an important thing for us to figure out. But both of those, to your point, are going to take time. And that is something that people feel like we don't have. So what would a manager do in a situation where their team is going through a transformation? They don't have a lot of time, but they need to start getting their team to to shift the way they think, and shift the way they work. Yeah. So especially as we take in a manager point of view here, the greatest thing you can do is act as an example, mm-hmm. not just ask your team to do things differently or use a new terminology, but try to uh, embody that. I was, I was about two years ago, I did a training with Michael Sehota, who's, I, I would call him a guru in, in agile transformation and leadership. And it really changed the way I think about it. And, and what he always said is like, put your safety mask on first. And as a leader, <laughs> you have to lead, right? Yeah. So if you don't have much time, try to go ahead, show people how it should be. Show them, you know, not, not only tell them that you support them, but get into the boat with them and swim across the ocean with them. And then try small things. You, you know, you won't save the world in a day and you won't change your whole team in a day. But together with your team, sit down, talk about what Agile means to you, why it is important, and talk about why it is important. And then again, talk about why it is important. And then figure out which of the things from the whole Agile space that you have available, you are going to try. Be it backlogs, be it sprints, um, be the Kanban board. Whatever it is, try to find one thing and get going with it and then evolve the way you work, right? Instead of going there and taking Scrum and now we have the Scrum guide and now we follow it. Don't do that. Especially if you don't have an, enough time for, you know, dealing with the, the aftermath of radical <laughs> transformations. Sit down, be an example for the team, figure out one thing you would like to try and then improve on that. Especially as a manager in the beginning, try to retrospect with your team. Sit down, figure out what works, what does not work for us, and then help the team to shift their behaviors. 
and just see how far you can go. And, and if it's not working, try something different. I love it. That's the basic idea of Agile, right? Yeah, exactly. So let's apply that to our transformations and our work. Oh, man, that's absolutely fantastic. Uh, thank you, Daniel. This feels like a good place for us to stop. I've got you know a few points here that I want to summarize from what we've covered today. You know, thinking about how people respond to uncertainty and change. If you don't like what's happening, you know, to you, define the problem. Like, what is the issue that I have with this? And get clear about that problem and talk about it with the teams or your peers and then figure out how to iterate and incrementally make small changes to help resolve those problems. Because we're all trying to accomplish the same thing as an organization, right? For us, that's to help people live better, healthier lives. Um, we wanna sell products uh, along the way. We wanna improve people's experiences. So we are, we're all after the same thing. So we wanna look at the problems that get in the way of that and talk about them and figure out how to resolve them together. And that's usually not a giant overhaul radical thing that's incremental improvement, right? As we continue to get better. And then recognizing that it's going to take time. I think that is a key, key factor for us is that this isn't going to happen overnight. Um, just like you don't drop 50 pounds overnight, this is something that's going to take practice, right? Um, and I think you just said this, you know, at the end here, trying those small things, especially if we don't have time, let's not try and swallow the whole scrum guide and try to implement an entire safe framework. Um, let's try small things. Let's do one thing and start down that journey. And then the last piece that I think is most important is as the leader, put your oxygen mask on first and then help your team get their oxygen mask on. So lead by example, do the things you're asking your team to do before you ask them to do it. And then retrospect with your team, sit down and listen to them and share your concerns and talk about what's working and what's not and figure out how to get better. I think that's, that's an absolutely phenomenal um, and simple message for leaders out there right now who are going through an agile transformation. I think it's helpful. Um, so is there anything else, any questions I didn't ask you that I should have asked you or any other comments you want to leave with the audience? I think you summarized it pretty well. Thank you much for that. And, and the only thing I have to say is it was an honor talking to you. Oh, it's been a pleasure. I really appreciate it. I love your stories. Um, and I'd love to talk more about Scarf and those kind of things. That's, that's I get geeked out on those type of things. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review and share it with others. To learn more about Amway's Agile journey, follow the hashtag AmwayAgile on Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. And if you're an employee, do that and search Amway Agile forward slash in your browser.